Stories. Fish Stories. Fish Stories. Sharing fish stories is best when you when you have somebody who has been there and been there with you. What's the good word, Fish Stories Nation? From Fishing Buddy Studios, it's the Fish Stories Podcast, where I introduce you to amazing anglers and fishing stories from all around the world. Today's guest seems to have the world in the palm of his hands. His name is Jason Durham. He's a fishing guide with Go Fish Guide Service out of Park Rapids, Minnesota, teaches kindergarten kids how to be awesome during the school year, and teaches other people how to fish through seminars and events the rest of the year. Jason's personality, as you'll find out, makes him a natural at this professional fishing stuff. And I had a really fun conversation with him in the back of the Iron Horse Barn Grill in Nevis, Minnesota. For those of you playing at home, that's the home of the world's largest muskie statue. Yeah, I got my picture with it. No big deal. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. When you're done, head to fishstories.org for more. Here we go. Someone's getting rowdy back there. All right, so um, can we start off? Can you introduce yourself and uh, tell me who you are where you're from and what you do sure my name's Jason Durham and I'm originally from the metropolis of Nevis Minnesota home of the world's largest concrete tiger muskie and we're sitting in a small tavern right now in the center of that town and for anybody that doesn't know about Nevis it's population 360 and that's people not thousands um, small small community that's very tight-knit we've got a lot of lakes close by within a 10 mile radius we have 100 lakes within a um, 25 mile radius we have 400 lakes so really what I tell people is you can pick up a rock throw it any direction and you're going to hit water and this area is very very special to me I mean growing up here being here my entire life uh, started guiding here when I was 15 years old so I couldn't drive a vehicle yet. My dad would actually have to back the boat in for me. Um, but then I returned after I went off to college, I returned and, and fortunately an educator here in this small town, I teach kindergarten, which a lot of people think, oh, you must be like a middle school science teacher or something. No, I hang out with five and six year olds all day and I'm a lifer. I mean, I love it here and I'm never going to live anywhere else. I grew up in the same town that I teach in and guide in. In fact, my classroom is two blocks from my childhood home. I know a lot of people venture out in life and they go and explore the world. And I've gotten to see various parts of the world. I love to travel, but I also like having my home base right here in this tiny community. What's the best part about that? Is it the people? Is it having the ability to throw a rock and find a new piece of water to go fish? Or you know, what's, what's the best part of Nevis for you? You know, I think there's a lot that's special to me. One is everybody knows everybody. And, you know, when new people come in, it's definitely the epitome of Minnesota nice. We welcome anybody in our community. If you, if you came and visited from out of town and you got a flat tire, you would have probably anybody that passed you would stop to help out. Uh, they'd probably invite you to take their vehicle while they repaired your tire. I mean, it's, it's little things like that. Of course, being in lakes country, I love that. Uh, traffic. 
there is no traffic. I mean, we measure, if, if you're driving five miles, we measure that in minutes. It's five minutes because you're driving 60 miles an hour to wherever you're going. So it's a mile a minute. If you have to wait for two cars to pass before you pull out onto a highway, uh, it's rush hour. Do you get road rage then when that happens? <laughs> no, but a funny story. I've got three stepsons and my youngest when he was maybe five or six years old. And granted, he grew up in Chicago. And we had to wait for maybe six vehicles to pass to pull onto our main thoroughfare, Highway 34, as we were on our way to school one day. And he says, what is with all this traffic today? And I thought, if you only knew what it'd be like if you were still in Chicago. And that's the funny thing about this community, too. There will be kids that grow up here and they'll say, I can't wait to leave. I can't wait to get out of here. And then you wait another five, six, seven years and then they come back and they realize what a great place it is. So you're a professional educator in the classroom with kindergartners. You're also a professional educator on the water. Um, you run the Go Fish guide service. So Go Fish started, like I say, when I was 15 years old. and. I've always had the philosophy of educating people on the water. It is centrified originally in Nevis, but all of these communities around here are very connected. So whether you're talking about Park Rapids or Akeley or Walker, Monaga, we're all kind of like the same community. So I say that I guide, you know, within maybe like a 25 or 30 mile radius. Most of my guide trips, I'm driving less than 10 or 15 minutes to get to our destination. And people always ask, is there like one resort you're going out of or one lake that you specialize in? And with this many around here, there's not. It might be, you know, in a week, we might hit 10 or 12 different lakes. A lot of people choose half day guide trips with me simply because that's the amount of time they need on the water. You know, if they have four or five hours on uh, one of these smaller lakes, that's plenty of time to learn what to do. And ever since I was a, a teenager, my goal has always been to educate my clients enough so they don't have to hire me anymore. But there's still, there's so many families that come back year after year because they love the tradition of it. Um, you know, we have things that happen and we, we talk about the past trips we've had. There's people that I've guided for 20 years. And it's so great to see them each and every year. And it's like family. It's like have, having family come back. So, and it's, it's indescribable, um, some of these groups that I take out. And it's, it ranges. Um, it ranges from famous people, professional athletes, um, to people that are very unassuming, who are, have some of the, the neatest ideas and coolest personalities that you'd ever meet. Did your um, passion for education in the boat fuel your passion for getting into education later on in life? No, it really didn't. In fact, it was kind of a roundabout way that I became a teacher. Originally, I went to school to be an uh, occupational therapist. And I got into the program. Um, I started doing some work within the field, and I really didn't enjoy it. And at that point, I was up in Grand Forks at the University of North Dakota working on my undergrad, and we had the, the great flood of 1997, so the entire city goes underwater, and I'm at this point in my life where I'm going, what am I going to do? The one thing I knew for sure is that I wanted to get back here. So I took a year off of college and did construction work in Fargo because there are a lot of successful construction companies here in our area, around Nevis Park Rapids area. And I did that for a year and I realized I really didn't like that either. And a friend of mine had actually suggested, why don't you look at education? Because 
throughout high school and throughout college, I had always volunteered to work with kids and I worked at the YMCA in college and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna try the education program. And the very first class I took, the very first day, I came back afterwards and I said, I know this is what I want to do. And I'm so fortunate that I got back here and teaching in the district where I wanted to and, and at the grade level I want to. That's something that comes up a lot too. People will say, you know, what do you teach? Kindergarten. And they look at me with this face of, of despair and they say, is that what you want to teach? And it actually is. It's not like I got shoved in here because nobody else would do it. This is, this is the grade level I want to be in. See, I don't know why you would want to teach a different grade level. Kindergartners are the best. That's the best age, in my opinion, for a kid to be. And I guess I can only speak upon, about my kids specifically. But going in, you know, we, part, we participate in our kindergarten classrooms too. And they're always a blast. It's just so much fun. So I imagine the teachers are going to have some fun too. Oh, I have as much fun in the classroom as the kids do. I, I've compiled uh, probably 150 stories of just different things that have happened in the classroom. And if you can't walk out at the end of the day smiling, you know, then, then you probably don't belong in kindergarten. And there's people that, that seriously, they don't want to be with that age of child, that they'd rather be with the older kids who are more independent. And yeah, kindergartners are needy. They need help zipping coats and tying shoes. But to see them progress throughout the year and become more independent. That's one of our goals as our school, is to make them independent learners. And it's changed in the years that I've taught. I've taught kindergarten for 17 years now, and now kindergarten is kind of what I remember first grade as being, where they're coming out at the end of the year pretty much being able to read. So it's crazy to think at the beginning of the year they come in, you know, there's some, some kids that can only count to 10. Some of them maybe can't even write their name yet and then see them exit as, as readers. That's pretty cool. Do your kids know about your fishing prowess? They do. In fact, uh, fishing is a big part of the classroom. And, you know, partially because that's my passion, but partially because any kid that lives around here is going to be somewhat ingrained in fishing. Even if they don't participate in it or their family does it, they know somebody who does. So for a lot of years, I had a 55-gallon aquarium in my classroom with different uh, freshwater fish, and we'd learn all about the fish. I still do, I, and I, I don't have the aquarium anymore. We've had a couple mishaps, fish that have escaped, and you, know, you name it, it's probably happened. But the aquarium has never broken and flooded the classroom. Um, but I still do a fish week every year where every subject area, reading, writing, math, uh, social studies, science is all based around fishing. And for these kids, that makes a lot of sense to them. It's easier for them to learn about something that they're exposed to regularly than say animals of Antarctica, someplace that they're probably never going to travel. Although it's valuable to learn about those other animals on the planet, this is closer to home. Do you remember that first guide trip you took when you were 15, when your dad uh, dropped you off with, with a client? Can you, can you walk me through that trip? So right across the street from where we're sitting is my uncle's gas station convenience store. And back then, uh, it was a convenience store on one side, and then there was a partitioning wall and a door you walked through, and it was a bait shop. Um, and back then, it was actually named Hookers and Hunters. That was the name of the bait shop. You can imagine how many prank phone calls we got over the years. Uh, but I worked there as a teenager. And we had, at that time, really one full-time guide in the area. And he was really good, but he was also very busy. And so a gentleman stopped into the shop, and he said, uh, 
I'm looking for a fishing guide. So we called up this guide and he was booked for the entire week. And I said, well, what lake are you fishing on? And the, and the gentleman says, Lake Beltane. Well, that's the lake I grew up on. So I said, well, you know, here's where you should try fishing. And I got out a map and went through it with him. And we went through the aisles and I started pulling tackle off. This is something you want to use. Here's how to do it. And he turned to me and he said, well, why don't you just guide me? And I said, well, I'm not a fishing guide. And he said, well, I'll pay you $35 for a half day. Well, at that time, I think I was making $275 an hour minimum wage. And it sounded like a good idea. So I took the trip and it went fantastic. In fact, I guided his family for several years. And my, my parents helped me research how to start a small business, um, incorporate, you know, go through all of those steps. And I've been doing it ever since. So it's, it's been quite a wild ride. And to start a business when you're so young, now it just, I have other guides that'll call me and say, you know what, I'm thinking about doing this. What do I need to do to establish my business and run it effectively? The, the unfortunate thing, I think, for the state of Minnesota is that they really don't have a guide licensure right now. And, I, and I've been begging for that because I do think it's important. I think at minimum, you need to prove that you're insured because you need to not only protect yourself, but your clients, it's so important. And to be CPR um, and first aid certified, because again, you're in charge of the safety of the people on board your boat. Have you ever had anything bad happen while you're on a guide trip? Um, I have, um, on a guide trip itself, not so much. I mean, the worst thing that's happened, um, and I love this story, it's one of my favorites. I've never had somebody on board get hooked. I also personally have never been hooked. So anybody that wants a tip, if you've got a, somebody who's a novice caster on board, the very best thing you can do is position yourself as absolutely close to them as possible. Because with a, a long rod, they can hit anybody else, but they can't hit you. So I had this doctor from North Platte, Nebraska several years ago over on Leech Lake. And we went out in the spring, it was in May, and we fished all, all evening, caught a ton of jumbo perch and a bunch of walleyes. We just, we had a really fantastic evening. We went back to clean fish in his condo and we cleaned them in the garage. And we left the garage door open because there weren't any bugs at that time of year. The weather was nice. Well, we finish, you know, finish up this chore at 1030 at night. I still have to drive home, which is about 25 minutes from where he lived. And I have to teach school the next day. It's a weeknight. So the whole family comes into the garage and I turn to leave and you know, say thanks for the trip and everything. And as I turn to leave, a bat flies into the garage. So this creature flies in and it lands on this heater that's mounted up in the corner of the garage by the ceiling. And so I thought, I should see how this turns out, which was my first mistake. So the doctor grabs a broom, jumps up on a countertop and starts prodding at this animal and pretty soon it flies and it flies right towards everybody standing in the condo. And all of the women and kids scream and run into the condo, and at that point it alerts the bat and it does a U-turn and flies out the front door. So once again I say thanks for the trip, I turn to leave, the doctor jumps off the countertop, lands on a five gallon bucket filled with ice fishing equipment. He hooks himself in the seat of his denim shorts with a treble hook from a jigging spoon and simultaneously buries the hook in his hand. So his hand is now stuck to his rear end. Well. He shimmies out of his shorts in the middle of the garage. He's standing in his boxers. His boys, who are college age, have already posted pictures of this on social media, unbeknownst to him. 
And so I go out to uh, the boat and I get a length of line and there's a little trick you can do. You can research it online. There's a trick you can do to pop a hook out pretty quick. And so I removed the hook and I told the doctor, if we had to go into the clinic, it would have cost you $375, but tonight I'm only going to charge you half price. But if you look at, in, so, you know, big fishing community here, our um, emergency room over in Park Rapids removes approximately 400 hooks just between June, July, and August. And that's only the ER. That does not include the clinic. They haven't researched that trick yet where you pop the hook out. <laughs> they, the anglers haven't, but sometimes, sometimes that's impossible to do. One of my clients was telling me about his, his own personal story fishing with his two young girls in the summer. So he's got his shirt off, and the girls are only five or six or seven at the time. And he's throwing around a, a crankbait like a shad wrap. And the girls both have bobbers that they're using for sunfish. Well, one of the girls decides to take a break and sit down. And so she's eating a snack. The other sister, she catches a bluegill, so he's helping her remove it. So he hands his rod to the girl who's having a snack, and his, his rapple is right next to the boat. Well, a northern pike comes up and takes it, about a 20-inch northern, and the girl freaks out and lifts it up into the boat and sets it down right between his shoulder blades. So it hooks him in the back with the fish still on it and he can't reach it, and of course the girls, they're young enough that they're of no help. So his only choice is to put on a life jacket to, to kind of curtail the movement of this fish and then drive himself to the emergency room. So you can imagine him sitting down to register and they say, how can we help you? And he peels off the life jacket and the lady is just, her face just goes white. Oh, oh. Hopefully nothing like that happens to any of the listeners or to myself personally. You can't make that stuff up. It's impossible. And that's the other thing. Some of the stories, some of the crazy things that have happened in the boat, if you spend enough time on the water, just wild things are going to happen. I mean, we've had, uh, we've had 11 times where we've caught the same fish, two people at the same time. So you bring the fish in, it has two hooks in the mouth. Um, we've caught a bra. Uh, and whoever lost the bra was quite a woman. Uh, we practiced catch and release. I was married at the time. I thought that was probably the best practice. Um, I had a guy catch a single uh, vertebrae from a bison. How do you do that? I've had, I've had hooks on, on people's lines switch lines. I've had people catch two fish on one line on one hook. I mean, you name it, it's probably happened. I've seen a couple of videos with you in them. Very entertaining, first of all. It always ends in you singing. Do you, do you serenade your clients? Uh, sometimes. Uh, my boat is pretty unique. I run a Crestliner Authority, which uh, it's an inch under 23 feet. It's designed for Great Lakes salmon fishing. And granted, we're going to these smaller lakes around here, but I like a lot of space. It adds you know, stability, smooth ride, safety for the clients. But it comes standard with two speakers on board. I had the company put six in. Because music is a big part of my life. I actually paid for part of my college by playing in a band. And in my classroom, music's very, very important. I play guitar in the classroom every day, every single day, and um, we sing a lot. Um, I don't always serenade the clients. Sometimes a I'm a little more serious. Uh, but it happens. It's been known to happen. Uh, who's, your, who's your favorite person to fish with? you have a favorite fishing buddy? Well, I would say either my parents 
um, because every time we get to go, you know, that's just a great opportunity. Um, they're the ones that essentially taught me how to fish. I mean, obviously there are a lot of people in my life who have contributed to that over the years, but they're the ones that really gave me, number one, the passion for it, and number two, the patience for it, which, you know, it, it crosses over into the classroom. Because if you're going to teach kindergarten, you have to have a certain level of patience. And that's the same thing in the boat, especially when you're helping others who might not have as much experience as even the average angler. So I would say my parents, um, my, my stepsons, that's always a joy as well. Um, but really, I'll put it like this. I get asked almost every day, have you ever had a jerk on the boat? Somebody you couldn't wait to get back to shore. And in all of those years of guiding, never never once. When you go out fishing, and whether that's on a guide trip or by yourself or with a group, that you have the choice. You can take every problem in your life or all of the world's problems and bring them out in the boat with you and you can solve them out there. Or you can leave everything on shore. And that's what most people that come out in the boat do. It's pretty hard to be upset when you're out on you know, a lake and our lakes aren't highly populated. I mean, we have lakes around here that don't even have houses on them, that you can just get lost in nature. Well, it's pretty difficult to be ornery alone just in that setting. What are you, uh, what are you most proud of as an angler? Boy, that's a really good question. Uh, I've had a lot of really great opportunities throughout my life and career with angling. I've gotten to publish a couple fishing books. I've gotten to be on a, a lot of fishing shows, um, a lot of them with people that were you know, influential in my life and, and enjoying angling. I mean, when I was a kid, there wasn't the internet. If you got to see a fishing show on TV, it was a big deal. And having the opportunity to fish with some of those people has been great. Um, working with manufacturers and seeing things that I suggest in fishing, whether that's for tackle or for boat design, uh, engineering, any of that, and see that crossover to help others have a better experience on the water, that, that's pretty cool to me. But then, of course, probably the proudest thing I am being an angler is that I do have the opportunity to teach others. I could do a lot of different things with fishing. I could be a regional salesman for, let's say, a rod company and travel all the time and get to talk to a lot of these people about fishing, but still being limited in the time that I actually get to spend on the water. And I get to be on the water, if truly, if I wanted to, I could every single day. And I try to as, as close as possible. Boat or ice, which is your favorite? You know, I would say neither. They're, they're both equal. Um, they both have a special place in my heart. When we have these stretches in the winter where it's 55 below, you know, wind chill, there's days where I go, why don't I live in Florida? Why don't I live in California? There's lakes over there too. Um, but then I realize how much I do really in enjoy ice fishing and the heritage of it. And you've seen this huge expansion of it over the, the last decade where it's almost like people didn't realize this was something you could do in the nor northern states. And... I, I see more and more people that are taking part in it. Um, there's good and bad to that. I was just having a discussion the other night with a couple uh, friends of mine who are well-known anglers. One is a Hall of Fame angler. And they were talking about 
harvest, fish harvest in the winter and how much that has increased in the last several years and it's because of the increase in anglers that are going, because of the increase in technology. Ice fishing's easier than it ever has been. It's more comfortable. And I looked at the group at one point and I said, you realize that we're complaining about this and yet this is the situation that we've helped create through the promoting that we've done, teaching others how to catch fish. And so it's a double-edged sword and protecting those resources, whether it's summer or winter, is still one of my focuses as a fishing guide. It has to be. That's, that's how I make money. Speaking along those lines, is there a trend in the industry right now that you wish would go away? Yeah, uh, actually there is. Um, the biggest trend that I would love to see disappear is the trolls on social media. Because you can have somebody that posts a picture that is so innocent, a great accomplishment, and no matter what it is, somebody hiding behind that on-screen persona can just eat you alive. I've been really fortunate that I haven't personally experienced a lot of that, but I have a lot of friends that I have seen that. To give you an example, just earlier this year, a friend of mine and I went to a very, very special lake where he caught um, two of his personal best bluegills, and we're talking about pound and a half fish. These are giants. These aren't fish that we're keeping. And he, he released both of them and posted pictures online, and it immediately started. Uh, why can't we see your thumbs? Well, because these fish are so big that, I mean, you don't need a thumb to hold them. Well, it looks like you're holding your arms straight out. Actually, he's not. And, and just things like that, I would love to see people follow the most basic rule of my kindergarten classroom, which is simply be nice. It's not that hard. And I have people that'll come up to me and say, you know, I caught a 26 inch largemouth. Well, okay, in Minnesota, that would be the state record by far. And I don't say, no, it wasn't 26 inches, you're a liar. I don't get upset with them. I say, you know, I'm, I bet that was a really nice fish. I bet that was a fun experience. And why don't you just take it for what it's worth instead of trying to beat somebody up over, over their catch? And the other thing is, you know, about keeping fish, you know, our, our limits in Minnesota are very liberal. And you even look at walleyes. Like in our area, you can keep six walleyes. Our average size is pretty good. So you could easily keep six 19-inch walleyes. Legally, you could have five 19-inch walleyes and a 25-inch are thrown in there too. And there's a fine line between what is legal and what is ethical. And at the same time, if it's legal, you can suggest, but you can't really beat somebody up over it if they're following the rules that have been laid out by the DNR. Do I think those rules will change over time? Absolutely, they already have, and we've seen that. Um, and it will continue to do so in the future. Um, we're getting a little serious here, so <laughs> I, I have a suggestion. I have, a, I, I have something that's going to get a little weird, though, if okay. you're okay with that. Uh, I, I teach kindergarten. I think I'm prepared for this. So one thing I love doing with my kids, um, we do a lot of voices. And I was surprised to find out, I found out in St. Paul when I saw you there, that you do some voices, you do some impersonations. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call them impersonations. Usually it's just making stuff up to be stupid. <laughs> Okay, so that's, we'll call it that, making stuff up to be stupid. So I want to do a voice-off. <laughs> let's, uh, let's try it. And what I want you to do, and I don't know how this is going to work yet. So I'm thinking you do your favorite voice, your character, and then I'll try and match it. 
or I'll just do one of my own, and we'll see if we can match each other on the voice off, okay? Because I, w- I want to see how I want to see how this works out here. So, do you have one that you do more often than others? I, I have one that comes to mind. All right. Uh, yeah, we're really gonna do this. I know you don't want to, but we're really gonna do this. Zoink scoops. It's like zombies. Zombies. <laughs> That was awesome. I did not expect Scooby and Shaggy. I'm going to try and do that one. All right. Okay, here we go. Like, oh no, Scoobs. Like, there's a zombie over there. Zombie? Oh no. (laughs) That was not very good. That was really good. Yours yours was way better. I thought that was great. All right, here's one one that I... I like to do Sesame Street people. So I'm going to do... uh, I'm going to do Elmo. Elmer, Elmer here with Jason Durham, and Elmer's talking about fishing. Elmer loves to fish, but mostly just for Dorothy. So, Jason, do you like to fish too? <laughs> Stick around, you might want to listen to this one. Oh, or can gosh. You do uh, well, I mean, I, you gave it a shot. I guess I can try. Elmo loves to fish too. I'd love to catch a big bluegill. Elmo loves you. That was awesome. Well, well done. I think, I think we nailed it. <laughs> good job. No, I'm really impressed. And I, I had to throw that one out there because I had to show everyone how good you are at those voices. So, um, okay, a couple more, couple more big questions here because so, I know you got to get on the road. Do you have a favorite fishing story that you tell more often than others? Oh, gosh. The most memorable guide trip I've ever had. I always like that one. So several years ago... I had a local judge from town. His name's John Smith. That's his real name. So I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, cover up his personality or who he is by using that name. His name is John Smith. And by the way, John is a judge. Um, he used to be Cass County District Judge, served on the Minnesota Appellate Court, um, and grew up here in Nevis, small town guy. Well, anyway, he says, I've got a friend coming to town. We'd like to do a half-day guide trip. And I said, I'd love to have you in the boat. He says, well, the problem is... My friend can't get here until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, that's not a problem. We'll make it work. So at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we meet at Potato Lake, one of our local lakes, and John's friend turns out to be Minnesota Supreme Court Chief Justice Eric Magnuson, the most influential man in the entire judicial system in the state of Minnesota at that time. So we go out on Potato Lake. It's August. It's 90 degrees it's dead calm, there's not a cloud in the sky, and it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We probably shouldn't be catching anything, but instead we're catching absolutely everything. Bass, northerns, walleyes, you name it, and the hook sets are swift. Well, anyway, John gets a nice fish on, so I'm going to grab the net and net it for him while I'm fishing with these two guys. So I start to crank in, and here I've got a rock bass on. So, of course, it starts to spin in the water and do the propeller. It's taking a little bit longer to get in. So the, the chief justice, being the kind man that he is, decides that he'll assist. So he grabs the landing net. The fish comes up. It's about a five-pound northern. He scoops it up in the net, raises it up, gives a jubilant yeehaw, and then Chief Justice Eric Magnuson goes overboard and falls out of my boat into Potato Lake. Well, the, the local judge, John and I, we both start laughing uncontrollably. I mean, it looked like he just dove in. And then all of a sudden, panic hits me. Shoot, what if he can't swim? So I look back. He's treading water. He's doing okay. 
We back the boat up to him. It takes both John and I to get him back on board, partially because he's a pretty good sized man, but primarily because John and I are both laughing so hard, we've got no strength whatsoever. Well, we get him back on board. Here he still has the landing net in his hands and he lands the fish, the fish is still in the net. So I take a picture of him standing there soaking wet with this five pound northern in the net. We let it go and the chief justice sits down in the passenger seat of the boat and he's not finding as much humor in this situation as John and I are. And all of a sudden his face goes white and he puts his hands on his pockets. He pulls out his wallet that's soaked. He pulls out his Blackberry cell phone that's soaked. He quick pops off the battery and sets it on the dash and he says, I heard from a friend that if your phone gets wet, you put it in a Ziploc bag with uncooked minute rice for 24 hours and it will absorb the moisture. So that's in August. The end of the day comes, we shake hands and part ways. Well, several months later, this is in March of that following year, I'm contacted by Outdoor Life magazine to contribute to an article called How to Fish Like a Guide. And they asked us general fishing information, but then some personal items too, like what profession would you have if you weren't a guide? What's your favorite way to prepare fish for you to eat personally? And they wanted us to provide the name of somebody famous that we had fished with. And I said, Minnesota Supreme Court Chief Justice Eric Magnuson, who ironically is the only person to ever fall out of my boat. And they printed this verbatim. So fast forward to May. In May, I would go each year to the governor's fishing opener, where in the state of Minnesota, it's a huge celebration. The governor chooses a community to visit a year in advance and brings along several hundred of his closest friends. Every media outlet in the state is covering the event to see if he actually catches a walleye. And this particular year, we're in White Bear Lake. So the night before the opener, they have this pairings meeting, and I usually take out media and we follow around the governor so they can take pictures and whatever. Well, you go to this pairings meeting to meet the people who are going to be in your boat and decide where you're going to meet in the morning, exchange phone numbers, and et cetera. So I'm walking through this room of several hundred people, and who do I run into but the chief justice? He's there. He's fishing the event. So I shake his hand, and the very first thing he does is he pulls out his cell phone, and he says, it still works. And the second thing he says is, by the way, nice article in Outdoor Life. But I asked him, I said, what happened? How did you fall in? And he said that the year before, he had unfortunately become diabetic. And he said through that process, he had lost a considerable amount of weight and the flexibility in his ankles. And he said when he would bend over in a certain way, if he went too far, he would just fall. And he said, I hit that point and I had to make a split second decision whether I fall on the gunnel of the boat or if I dive into the water. Hence why it looked like he just dove in. That's a great story, Jason. Um, last question. You've been fishing for a long time. You've been teaching for a long time. How do you, uh, how do you want people to uh, remember you down the road? Well, I think, I think back to my own childhood. And like I say, my parents were very influential in, in introducing me to angling. But I had a lot of mentors in my life as a kid. Um, a number of people that would take me out fishing if they had an extra seat in the boat just because they saw that I had that passion. And I want to pass that on to others too. And I, I do mentor for kids. Um, I used to mentor for some kids that didn't have anybody in their life who fished. And I started this back when I was in high school. 
And now I contribute a couple guide days each year, 12 hour days, where kids can sign up and I just take four kids at a time. We fish for two hours. We go back to the access and there's four more kids waiting. We do this for 12 hours for two days. And then on top of that, there's something I started this last year, actually two years ago. Um, when we had the recession back in like 2008 or 2009 and, and the gas prices went sky high and we were looking at close to $5 a gallon, there was a morning when I went to fill up my truck and boat. Now my boat had a 60 gallon tank at the time. My truck has a 24 gallon tank and I was pretty much filling them from the bottom up. And I went in to pay and the attendant there said, uh, that gentleman in front of you took care of your, your bill. And I'm talking, this is several hundred dollars. And I said, who did that? And she said, oh, I, I don't know where he went. He's gone. And to this day, I still don't know who did that. So what I do one day a week is the trip that I take, and it could be with a group that I've had for 10 years, for 15 years. It could be a group that I've never taken before. But when it comes time to pay me, they say, what do we owe? And I say, nothing. You don't owe me anything. What you do owe is that amount paying it forward in our community somehow. If you want to contribute to a church or to the food shelf, by all means do that. Go with what your gut or your heart tells you. But it would be really neat to see you, for instance, at a restaurant, just tell the waitress, we're gonna take care of that table's tab. Or at a gas station, just like what happened to me. You know, here's $100, pay it towards the next person that comes through and until it's gone. Just little tokens like that. So when somebody comes to our area, they go, wow, what a great experience. You know, can you believe that this happened to me? What a cool gift. And I don't, I don't need to be acknowledged for that. But what I want is for people to find so much joy in it that they continue to do that and make it a routine of their own personal life. That's a great tradition you've started. I hope so. I, my, my biggest fear is that somebody gives the gas station attendant $100 and the next person to come through is the wealthiest person in the county. And, but hopefully they see the positive that comes from it and that they take that into their life and continue to do it too. Awesome. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that I should have or that you didn't, that you didn't say that you want to? There's a lot. <laughs> my gosh, we could sit here for hours and hours and talk. But I think the biggest thing that I want to share with anybody who, who listens to this interview is I get asked in, in my seminars and on the water a lot about how, how to find more fish, how to catch more and bigger fish. And in my seminars, I always say, you, do you want the top secret way to catch more fish? And the secret is you actually have to go fishing. You can't do it while you're watching you know, a football game in the fall. You can't do it while you're mowing the lawn. That's, and those are important things to do too. But I love the philosophy my dad always had when I was a teenager and we'd have a, for instance, a nice summer day or fall day. And my chore for the day was to mow the grass. He'd say, go fishing. The grass is still gonna be here tomorrow. And take that to heart because take the opportunity when you can.
Special thanks to Jason for taking the time while I was in Walker for the Eel Pelt Festival. If there's one thing you take away from this conversation, I hope it's that you know better than to get into a voice battle with Durham. The guy's a natural talent. Check out fishstories.org and the Fish Stories Facebook page for updates. While you're at fishstories.org, sign up for our newsletter and become a true fan today. Remember, fishstories.org. When you're ready to tell us a story, give me a call. We can help you get it done. Thanks for listening, everyone. Armor says, don't forget to stay awesome. Fish stories.